0: Welcome to IndieThinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman today. We have a very special episode. That's why I'm out of the studio here and uh, just kind of presenting to you what we've got going on today. Because we have been, in, in in the month of July, giving you the best of different guests from politics, causes, culture, and faith, the four things that we talk about here at Indie Thinker. And we've been giving you the best of episodes, but I wanted to break in to that uh, kind of rhythm to offer you something that I think is very important. So today we're bringing on a guest, a guy named Axel Arzola, who is a friend. He's a filmmaker, but he is also a Cuban dissident. So he's going to be speaking about what's going on in Cuba. He'll be sharing a little bit of his story and how he escaped from Cuba and then talk to us about what he knows about the dissident movement, why people are protesting in the streets, right now. Now, I think this is incredibly important for us to talk about because if you listen to corporate media, and even if you listen to the White House a little bit, you'll think that there are things going on in Cuba that are not the actual truth. I mean, you've heard that it's vaccine and COVID related, and that's such a small portion of what's going on on that island that it almost doesn't even deserve to be mentioned. We all know what's really going on. And to our president's credit, he finally came out and said that communism is the problem. The socialist idea that wherever it goes, it destroys the people and uh, only makes room for dictators. Uh, If if the 20th century didn't teach us that, then nothing will. And so the real issue here is that the Castro regime needs to be overthrown and a new government needs to be installed. But if you listen to organizations like Black Lives Matter, uh, you'll think that this is uh, the U.S. who's the problem because of the embargo that we have on Cuba and not the fact that communism. And Marxism is a horrible idea and wherever it's tried, it leaves in its wake, you know, a pile of bodies, blood and disenfranchised and hurting people. But of course, since Black Lives Matter is a communist Marxist organization, they're not willing to say that. And so we wanted to provide some information so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt what's going on in Cuba has to do, has to do with the, the fact that the people are standing up for their rights. They wanna overthrow an oppressive murderous regime and uh, they're sick and tired of what's been going on there and they're finally getting vocal about it in ways that they have not before. So I even talked with my friend, by the way, about whether or not he thinks that this, uh, the government of Cuba is really truly going to be able to uh, change without revolution. So really thrilling, very intriguing conversation. I think you'll get a lot out of our episode today. So without further ado, I want to share that with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. I have a good friend on the podcast today and I wanted to bring him on because he's actually a Cuban national who immigrated to the United States successfully and with everything that's going on in Cuba right now, I just figured it would be a great time to finally have a conversation with him. He's doing lots of amazing stuff and uh, I've wanted to bring him on in the past, but I felt like, man, this would just be a great time just because uh, I think what's happening in cuba right now is really really cool and provides a great opportunity to uh just kind of stay informed about that stuff but even to to reflect on uh the beauty of freedom and the importance of that kind of whole process that right now is continuing to be uh explored by by the cuban people so i'm really really excited to talk with my good friend axel arzolo about that bro thanks so much for uh coming on today man well thank you so much Reed, for having me i, I really appreciate First
1: of all your friendship because we have been able to be friends for many many years now and you have always been there in, in like the hardest moments of my life uh, but also for your interest and your willingness to like share uh, my story and the story of so many people that came from cuba immigrated and are just trying to make a better life so um, i really appreciate it
0: yeah man it's been my pleasure and i and i'll say thank you to you man for your friendship too obviously uh we've been through a lot together not only what happened with your son, but also, too, as I've tried to jump out and do stuff with with my career. Um, I credit you a lot with a lot of the insight and also jumping alongside of me through foolish projects and uh, foolhardy projects uh, doing film uh, related stuff. And and so I just uh, appreciate you, man. So you've been really helpful and I'm glad for the friendship as well. So I think, by the way, uh, these kind of conversations yield uh, the best the best kind of product when friends are able to come together and talk just like they would in a living room, because that's really, kind of, I think, what people want to hear. So I've been really looking forward to having a friend on like you that uh, that we can talk about uh, just what's going on in the world um, now. Before we jump into specifically what's happening in Cuba and your story, because I really want to share that with people, just briefly share with me what's going on with you, because we met in Tennessee, of all places, and we'll get to how in the world you got from Cuba to Tennessee in a minute, but we met in Tennessee, of all places, and now you're living in LA, living the high life, Um, you're... Uh, representing like a gangster and you are doing stuff in the film industry. So I I kind of I mean, I see stuff on Instagram all the time with you boxing people and doing all sorts of crazy films with dudes with monkeys on their shoulder. But I don't even know what you're up to. So give me uh, give me kind of the latest about what uh, what kind of film projects you're working on and uh, and what you're doing out in L.A. Yeah, it it has been
1: a really interesting ride.
0: Uh, When I first came
1: to L.A., I started working as a location scout uh, for a big TV show for Amazon Prime called Dem Covenant. And that was a great opportunity. Uh, My friend, Jared Kurt, brought me on as a location scout, and I was able to learn a lot and really get inserted into the film industry here in L.A., which is very different from, you know, doing your own thing. Once you're working in a studio system, everything is very, very different. And we were working at the highest level that you could be working at. So uh, in in the last couple of years, I worked on that. I worked on projects for Hulu. I worked on a feature film for Sony, all on the locations department. And I was also like doing my own projects. I was able to get distribution for my feature film, Literary Inc. And recently I just started working as a creative producer for a studio called Impact Theory, which I'm super excited and passionate about. And we're creating content to inspire people and to help people do better and use the power of story and mindset to help people like go after their dreams and actually make make a difference and make things that really matter to them.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So um, so is that through fictional stuff or is it kind of more like kind of uh, real life kind of stories and inspirational type uh, kind of teaching, maybe like positive mental attitude type stuff or what's the format?
1: Yeah, we have a mix of both. So we have uh, a digital side to the, to the studio and we have four or five different YouTube channels that are putting out content in the mindset space, business, relationship, uh, empowerment, and all of that is with interviews. And then we also have the studio side and we have a comic book uh, side to the company where we're developing IP and then trying to develop that into animated series and uh, feature films in the future. So we're doing a mix of, of everything.
0: Very cool. Okay. And then I've noticed too, I, the when I was referring to the monkey on your shoulder, uh, I think it was a rap video. So I've seen you've been doing some music videos too, right?
1: Yeah, that was a music video that I produced for uh, Warner brothers and one of the Latin artists. And you know, you, you still do a lot of one-off projects here and there. And I love music and I've always been obsessed with music videos. So that was a really cool opportunity. And you know, having a monkey on set is always fun.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, the last time I saw a guy with a monkey on his shoulder, it peed all over him. They had to like totally cut and then do something and totally change wardrobe and then get the monkey back on his shoulder. So hopefully you didn't have any monkey, uh, monkey fail. He's a
1: good trained monkey. Like he did good. Dexter was the name of the monkey. He did
0: good. Okay, so two last questions. Um, how, uh, how is Abel doing uh, now? Is everything good? Um, I just wanted a little update about your son. And you can tell everybody. I'll let you tell them what you want to tell them in terms of what happened with him.
1: Yes. He's doing really well. Uh, Abel had leukemia and for the last three years he was doing his treatment and, uh, Reed was someone that was really present when that was happening and came to visit us at the hospital and, and make sure that other people knew what was going on and they could help us financially and emotionally. Uh, so yeah, man, thanks for asking. He's doing amazing. He's so good. Top of his class, learning a lot. He's shooting videos. He wants to act in movies like me, wanting to do some voice acting and doing his skateboard and, you know, like living, living his best life and learning a little bit of Spanish. So uh, hopefully I get to take him back to Cuba again. Uh, He has been there a few times and uh, he likes going there, but uh, I think I need to take
0: him even more times after all of the lockdown goes away. All right. And uh, so is he totally done with treatment? Is he is he in the clear now, as far as you know?
1: Yes, he is. He's just taking antibiotics. That's the only thing that he has to keep doing for a little bit more. But he's done with all the chemo pills and with everything. Uh, We will have to keep checking on him, I think, for the next few years. But yeah, he's safe.
0: All right. Yeah, he's a fighter man. Awesome boy. All right. okay, And then uh, what are you working on right now that you're really excited about that you can tell us about? I know you may not be able to uh, tell us uh, everything. Um, And then also uh, maybe a movie or a TV show that you'd recommend.
1: Right now we're working on something really exciting in the NFT world. Uh, non-fungible tokens, and is all related with art. And all of this is related to Impact Theory Studios, the studio that I'm working on. And we're developing a lot of comic books that hopefully we get to turn into animated series. So I'm pushing on that, but also I'm creating content for uh, their channel every week. And we're trying to inspire people to go after their dreams and and make a difference for their life. So I'm really excited about that. And Hopefully we get to make those movies happen pretty soon and TV show that I would recommend right now. I'm actually watching anime. I started watching uh, Naruto because for this marketplace uh, and all the art that we're making with the studio, we're doing a lot of uh, comics. So that's what I'm, I'm into Japanese anime now. And I'm trying to learn from that and, and see their philosophies and like the things that they're teaching, which are pretty interesting to be honest.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Okay. I've never seen that before, but I've seen some anime. I'll, I'll recommend something to you uh, when we cut off. Okay, man. All right. So um, I, I'll have to admit, um, I remember this a little bit, but I don't even remember entirely, but I know that you've got kind of a crazy story with how you... And, and I think Credo, right, your wife, uh, how you guys came from Cuba to the United States. So tell us your story of immigrating here, because the only way that you can truly immigrate to the United States from Cuba is illegally. So, so how did that work with you guys?
1: Yeah, in, in my case, I was really fortunate that I started working in film in Cuba very early on. So I was the head of this project called Kino Cuba, and it was a group of filmmakers getting together, creating short films all in like a 72-hour time span. And then we were able to screen those films at a big movie theater in Havana. And we were working with the uh, film institute that is directly connected to the government in Cuba. Because in Cuba, you were not allowed to have production companies. Everything that was related with film was within this Film Institute. And it was under the direct control of the government because they control everything basically. So we were working with them and that's how I was able to, when I got invited to go to Canada, I was able to run my visa and my permits through the, the Film Institute and they had relationships with the embassy. So I went to Canada as officially bit, under official business of the Film Institute And that's how I was able to do all all the paperwork and be able to leave. Uh, And then, you know, once I got there, I was there like a couple of days. And then I just figured out a way to run away from the festival that we were uh, staying at. And then I just figured out a way to get on a bus. And we were up in Quebec, Canada. This was March. It was super cold. And we just started walking like at six in the morning when everyone was asleep. We snuck out started walking towards the bus station and then we took a bus to montreal and we got lost Uh, some people some like police officers in montreal gave us some directions we were able to get on the metro get to another part of the city then slowly by the end of that day we made it to like about 30 miles from the canadian uh, canada u.s border and then we we didn't have another way of like I didn't know how to get there so we just started walking and we started walking for a while and then we found this taxis and I just with my broken English I went and talked to the guy and was like you know like can you take me here and I had like made a picture of like where in the map I needed to get to and the guy was oh yeah, yeah sure so he took us there and At first, the people from the US border control, we went to like this tiny little checkpoint because I was afraid to go to the big checkpoint and that they would say, no, 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 you cannot come in through here. So I went to a small checkpoint and it was one of those like one lane streets. So we're driving towards that and we couldn't stop. I wanted to stop and keep walking. Uh, And then the, the officer starts waving at us to like keep going. So when I tell the guy, yeah, I'm Cuban and I want to like ask for refuge. And the officer was like, no, no, what are you talking about? Give me your, your visa. And I was like, I don't have a visa. And then I tried to get out of the car and the guy grabs his gun and he's like, stay in the car. He freaked yeah. out and he starts yelling at us. He makes us pull over and then they take us inside and they start checking all over. All I had was like a backpack with a couple changes of clothes and like 120 bucks and they start asking us a bunch of questions they never had cubans go through there before and after like an hour they start calling other places and they send some other officers and they keep asking us questions like how did you get here when did you land in canada what were you doing in canada what were you doing in cuba like what was your profession like how do you make money like why are you here all of these questions and then they take a second and they look at us and then they're like,
0: welcome to America. <laughs> That's crazy, man.
1: Hugging us and they start laughing and they start saying, you know, man, like you're the first Cubans that we have ever seen here. Uh, we apologize. Like, do you guys need any water? Do you need any food? Like, wow. we can help you? Because the, the people there on that checkpoint didn't know about the, the law that the U.S. had to help Cubans come to America and immigrate. Uh, as refugees. So once they realized that that was what was happening and that we were okay to do so, they changed completely and they started helping us. And I remember it was this big African-American officer who was super strong. And he's like, man, I'm so sorry. You're the first Cuban I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I would say most people don't come from Cuba through Canada. So yeah. And I imagine that was crazy experience for you experiencing that brutal cold coming from uh from cuba
1: yeah it, <laughs> it was pretty tough and uh we had some friends that uh got us a ticket to go down to tennessee and that's where you and i met uh, yeah. because i had met some professors from lee university who had been going to cuba bringing medicines and helping people in cuba for years
0: that, yeah.
1: and they were the only people that i had contact with uh in america so they were the only people i i knew to call And uh, his name is uh, Dr. Dwayne Knight. And I owe to him everything in in my life and this journey here in America, because he took me in within his family. And he's like my American dad, you know? So that's how you and I met because I started going to Lee university uh, because also I got the support from uh, Dr. Khan who gave me a full ride scholarship to go to Lee study film and communication and kind of, keep learning and and making this journey in America.
0: Yeah, that's so cool, bro. So I've got a couple questions for you. So if you were, can you go to Canada now? If can you travel to Canada, see family or anything? Or sorry, not to Canada. Sorry to Cuba,
1: To Cuba. Yes. So what happened was I had to stay in the U.S. for a certain amount of time. And then I could apply for my green card. So after I got my green card, then I could try to go to Cuba. So it took me about three and a half years. And when I went to Cuba, I was afraid that they wouldn't let me in because I, the way that I had left, it was sort of like tied into the, the film institute. And I, and I So
0: are you like considered a defector?
1: Yes. Okay. okay. So I lost my residence uh, in Cuba because I stayed in, outside of the country for longer than two years. And it, it's kind of a gray area. I don't really know all the terms. All I know is that when I went there, I came in, you know, with a backpack full of cameras because I wanted to film things. And I was concerned that they were going to like turn me around and not let me in. Right. So when I got to the to the airport, I think because they saw all the cameras and I started saying that I was a filmmaker and all of that, they were a little bit more careful. Yeah. But they did bring people out you know, like higher up people in the, because the customs is connected to their army. So they brought this lady out that had like some rank and she started asking me a bunch of questions, like where I was going to be, how much cash was I bringing, what equipment I was bringing. They did a full inventory of like all the stuff that I was bringing. And they asked a few questions, but I also play a little bit silly, like, Oh, I don't know. And, and this is what I travel with all the time. And, Uh, I'm not going to film anything weird. So every time that I go, I usually get a little bit of resistance. uh, And I think it's more because I'm bringing film equipment. And that's something that in Cuba has always been a problem. Cameras and things like that. I was just telling a friend of mine, I remember when I was like a teenager, I went out with a camera to shoot. Like I was doing these videos, nothing related to politics or anything like that. And we heard some people saying, hey, the cops are coming, the cops are coming. And we had to run and hide. Because anyone outside with a camera filming something, you will get the cops like coming to check on you like ASAP. Yeah. So I think that always has been a little bit of a problem. And when we used to live in Cuba, we were more afraid to go out and film things. And you always have to be really careful. Now in the last few years with the changes in technology and phones and the internet, people are way more free to like do things. And it's also because people don't even censor themselves and people feel more free to go out and do stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. All right. And I've never asked you this question, so I don't, I'm really curious about this. I think other people will be as well. Um, I, I imagine that the human experience, the plight of Cubans probably varies drastically. You know, you hear some crazy stories of some horrible things that have happened to people. And then there's probably, there's degrees, like anything in life. What was your experience like living in Cuba that made you want to come to America and and stay here and flee what you have known as your home since you were a little boy? I mean, was it was it just that you thought that you could have a better life or did you experience um, uh, some really difficult things that um, that that really maybe even scarred you?
1: I think it's, it's a mix of all of those things in my personal uh, case. We were very, very poor, and my parents were doctors, and they always work, worked in healthcare, which mm-hmm. means in Cuba that you make very, very little money. So poverty was a huge piece of me wanting to leave the country and, and look for something better. I was also, like, I grew up watching so many movies. I was obsessed mm-hmm. with, like movies in this world that movies presented and yeah. i felt like that could be something you know in all of our minds as kids like if you get to america hollywood has a big pool for all the like cool shiny things that look really good so i always wanted to like come to america and make movies that was like my dream and i always loved the language and and then for me i always wanted to come to america it was like the place that i felt that i could reach my potential and like freedom and like the ability to go for whatever it was that you could even think of. I think things that scarred me, I I don't have, they're not too strong. Like for me, they were normal. Like I got in trouble, like I told you going out to film. I know that in school, I got in trouble for like speaking my mind. And uh, in high school, one time they were trying to make me feel really bad and give me like a bad uh, grade because I didn't go to one of their like revolutionary marches that you had to like yeah uh, go and protest against the U S and I, I just didn't go to that. And then they were doing like this public thing in front of my whole class. And they started with me because my name started with an A. So I was the first guy to go. And then I, I started telling the head of the communist party in the high school that You know, I was disappointed of this revolution. I'm disappointed of this entire thing. And then we got into like a pretty heated argument and I thought they were going to kick me out of the school and I was really going to get into trouble. And I was always kind of going against the grain with all of those things. And I think it's because I had interacted with people coming from the U.S. to the I used to work at a big church doing all their media And like I grew up in that church. So I would interact with lots of people from Australia, Canada, the U.S., the U.K. And I would see that these people were so amazing and they were coming to help. And then on the other side, the government is always telling you that America is like horrible. And then any other country is like trying to oppress our country, which to me was just not true. So I always felt limited. And you get to a point, I think. When you mix having extreme poverty with extreme limitations as far as you as what you could aspire to and also what you could talk about, it just makes you feel so frustrated. And it got to the point, you know, that I was really frustrated live, living there. And sometimes you use this psychological mechanism to try to make yourself feel happy about where you are. Yeah. So you kind of take things down and you just... You become happy by accepting the unhappiness in your life and you just make it normal. And for you, it's like, oh, this is what everyone has. And then you focus on the positive. And that's why so many people, when they meet Cubans, they say, oh, you're so happy. It's like, well, yeah, like it's everything in life. We try to focus on the good things to keep moving forward. Uh, It's like a defense mechanism. But once you start seeing the possibility of what could be, then that makes this whole defense kind of crumble and then you become really frustrated. And I think that's what's happening with my generation. And that's why we're seeing so many things happening right now. This moment in Cuba It's the beginning of something amazing, but at the same time, something really sad. And it's because we have all gotten tired of, of what's happening there.
0: Okay, so let's jump into that a little bit. There's so much that you just said that I want to tackle, but I will hold off until the end, because I really want to talk to you about the American dream. And I want to talk to you about conversations that we're having right now, among Americans about America, because Um, I think you can shed a perspective on that conversation that I think needs to be heard. So we'll jump into that in a minute, but let's talk about the dissident movement, because I know it's not new, but obviously there's some things that are transpiring now, Um, and this could be my ignorance, but it seems to me that there hasn't been the kind of fortitude and the kind of... Um, overt courage uh, with the dissident movement that we're seeing right now in the news media. Of course, that could be the news media. So um, it, so tell us a little bit from your perspective about the dissident movement and then what you think is happening like right now that is causing uh, people in the the thousands, probably tens of thousands, to take to the street, to be very vocal about their freedom and trying to uh, represent change through through protest and through lifting their voice as a, as a people. And, and maybe Maybe why they're, that's happening now as opposed to why it hasn't happened in the past. Um, and I'll dovetail that with also just saying it this way, is that um, the things th- – there's some confusion here in America, too, as to why this is happening. So I think you can really help us with this. If you listen to the media in some spaces, this is totally relegated to COVID and lack of vaccines. I'm sure there's some aspect of that, but I think – Anybody with a, a clear-thinking brain can easily say this is much bigger than COVID. This is much bigger than vaccines. That might have been the tipping point, but the real problem is a communist dictatorship that does not allow people to, the freedoms that they that they have been given by God. So, so tell me in your 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 understanding of everything that's going on, what you think is going on right now, and the, kind of the dissident movement from a big, large perspective.
1: Yeah. Just to be clear, what's happening right now has never happened in the country before. Mm -hmm. Not in my lifetime, not in the last 60 decades. And what's happening right now is not related to COVID at all. What's happening right now is that many generations have gone through and have gotten tired of all the lies that our own government has been telling us for decades And the situation right now with COVID, with the economy, with the lockdown, all of that just accentuated the crisis and just made people realize we need to do something. But everything that is happening right now, I believe is because younger generations know what's out there in the world. Right now, we have access to the internet. We have access to phones and information travels way faster, the, the key to the power of the Castros has always been that they control the information. So right. when you can control information for over 50 decades, you can create the ideas that people think about. But in the last 10 years, that has been changing because of the technology advances, social media, and all of all of the above. So what's happening right now, is just all of that coming to light And not in small isolated movements, but, and it's not even a movement, it's just the regular people. Like I was talking to a, a friend of mine yesterday who was sending me messages and he lives like right in the middle of Havana. He lives next to a police station and he's seen everything that's happening. And he was saying, I told him that I was going to talk to you and that I was doing this interview and I asked him, What do you want me to like make sure that people know? And he said, Make sure that people know that the People going out to protest and ask for freedoms are the doctors, the architects, the professionals, like the people who have small businesses, people who actually have something to lose. Those are the people who are going out. It's not like left, extreme left, or extreme right people that have ideologies. It's nothing related to like politics. It's just, simple human freedom like people just want to be able to go out and say what they think and be able to say i disagree with that and be able to say i want to start my own business and i want to create something and sell it to someone else and people wanting like basic human rights be able to like get together in a place and talk about things like and yeah. just being able to talk about things it's not permitted in our country and that's just that's just the beginning of something super exciting and major that could happen but it's just really sad that it has to happen through violence and all of that is also coming from the government because all the people that went onto the streets they had their hands up and they were just asking for freedom no one has guns because we haven't had guns civilians in cuba haven't had guns in the last 60 years right weapons are not allowed they're illegal like we have no weapons so all the people that went out to the streets and you can see on all the videos and the pictures just Mostly young people with their hands up asking like enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is why the Second Amendment is a big deal. See, most people just think, oh, well, the Second Amendment's about Southerners and their guns, but the Second Amendment is actually sincerely about not only protecting yourself and the, the right to be able to go hunt if you want to hunt, and but it's also about the right to know that, that the people are the ones that are supposed to be in control of their government, and there should be this kind of stopgap, not that there's threats, and that's the tenuous relationship we have with our government, but that there is this— there's is this knowledge that you work for us, and that uh, if you stop working for us, there is a price to pay. There's something good even in in that knowledge, um, uh, and and so the Second Amendment has a purpose. But beyond that, um, I, I think what's really striking is that um, the you say it's a younger generation in a, and I'll take your word for that. But but what's striking is that this younger generation seems to. Uh, be presenting an element of courage that hasn't been present perhaps just because of um how evil the Castro regime has been or or whatever but but they uh they seem to be saying enough is enough and finally we're going to do something about this stuff and my question for you then is then this is just a kind of like your personal thoughts on this because I know you don't know the answer but but my biggest fear is that what we're seeing already happening is that the police are pushing back against these people and and stopping these people who are totally unarmed um, and using force against them. Um, what do you think is going to happen long term? Do you think this movement has the teeth and the courage to keep on pressing in, even when it, there starts to be a higher cost for what they're doing. Do you think this move is gonna uh, exact the kind of change that Cubans have so desperately wanted for so long?
1: Yeah, I, I think right now, I don't even know if we have a movement because I, I keep asking everyone that I know, like who is the person that would like lead this? Because I'm always, like this is something that I have thought about for a long, long time. I've been in America for about 10 years now. Yeah. And Every time I seriously think about the situation in Cuba, I start to think, okay, if I wanted to fix it, like if if the U.S. will come in and try to fix everything, if if even the Cuban communist uh, government would say, okay, we want to fix the country and just have a better life, what are the things that we would do? And I think it all starts with freedom of speech. <laughs> that That's only the beginning. First of you cannot create or form, formulate a plan without talking about the plan that you want to create, right? And right. you cannot talk about the things that are wrong if you're not allowed to talk in the first place. And I think what's happening right now is giving an opening for that. If we get that freedom, then I think the movement or whatever it is that will create the change will come after that.
0: Yeah, but do you think that freedom of speech is gonna be possible without um, without revolution?
1: that's a good question I don't know I think the fact that people are cor- courageous enough to go out to the streets and talk about what they want to do once that gets normalized yeah. I, I don't think the the army is going to keep shooting people forever like at some point even those people in the army they're going to realize this, this doesn't make any sense like we are beating these people up and all they want to do is talk like at some point that has to stop. So I believe that if people in Cuba and now people everywhere, like in Miami, like if you go on the news right now, they're closing down the streets and the Cubans are going out and they're saying, if Cuba is on the streets, Miami is on the streets. And like here in LA, I just got information from some friends and this afternoon we're going to go out too. And we're also going to start talking about that on the streets so everyone can hear exactly what's happening. I think if we start doing that, we will get our freedom of speech just by speaking up. If we keep speaking up, the people will have to hear us. And once we get that, then the conversation can begin. And then we can try to figure out a plan to just have that freedom and then add more freedoms to that and figure out what this whole change
0: will require. Yeah. Uh, this is a little bit off the uh, beaten path of a, of a question, but I am just curious about this. Uh, you're, obviously, you were... In the media world in Cuba and in the media world now and uh, in film in L.A. and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I'm just curious because I don't think many Americans have the capacity to to really wrap their head around the way propaganda works in a country like Cuba. So can you give us an idea of like kind of what. Maybe the media is saying right now about what's going on with uh, with these protests that are taking place in the street. How do you know how Q, the Cuban media is uh, is painting the picture of the of these uh, dissidents?
1: Yes. So right now, what's happening is they shut off the internet, so people don't have access to the internet ah. other than through VPNs, which okay. are virtual private networks. So there are works around that some people can have to only do like WhatsApp texts and whatnot. So they shut up the internet and on TV, what they are saying is that everything has come down and that people should stay at home, that COVID ca- cases are going to rise. So we should all stay at home and then, th- and things are getting back to normal. That's what the TV is saying right now. I just saw on Instagram right before you and I started the uh, conversation people from Cuba were posting that, that that's what they're seeing there. Yeah. So, and that's how they have been able to control the thoughts and ideas of our entire country for so long. When I grew up, we only had two TV channels. They had the programming, everything was controlled. And in the news, they would play CNN footage, but they would kill the sound and they would say whatever the news was they would read the news we never had access to actual cnn and that's how the news worked in cuba we only had like a 45 to an hour program that was the news at 6 p.m and they would talk about the things that they would decide and i remember i had a friend who was a producer at the news program And I was able to go and see how they recorded the news like for a couple of times. And for me, it was like a big deal. You know, I was this 15 year old kid and I get to go in and see the behind the scenes. For me, I was like just obsessed with the cameras and the sets and like that side of things. But the actual news and the things that they were reporting, it was a joke. Like it was like a group of three or four people. And again, this is the only one news program in the whole country with 11 million people and the team was four people and a couple of guys writing things down on paper and then the guy will come and, and talk about it and then we just play footage of things that happened. and yeah. like and anyone who i mean it's really funny like in cuba all the news we had this parody comedy videos and it was always like you know we completed two more hospitals in this place and we over the amount of like potatoes that we had to, uh, for this harvest. And we did, everything was good news. It was so funny, dude. Everything was great news in Cuba. And then outside of Cuba, everything was horrible. Like I always thought that in America, like people had no jobs, people couldn't afford anything. Like people couldn't buy any medicine. People couldn't have access to healthcare. People, couldn't go to school. That's how I grew up believing that that was like the reality. So I was, even when I came to America, I was like, that cannot be true. But in the back of my head, I still thought, you know, it's going to be really tough to live in America. Mm -hmm. And then I remember going to Cleveland, the first week of me being in the States, a friend takes me to a middle school and the kids were unwrapping 10 high definition cameras for their media class. And that was better equipment at a public school. That was better equipment than the equipment that we had in Cuba working in the Film Institute and the access to things that we could uh, have. And yeah. I just, like, I remember I started crying that day and it, it was something crazy, you know, to have that happen.
0: Yeah, I, I, I gotta jump to this question now, man, because Having your perspective on these things is also, I think, important, not only so that we can understand kind of more what's happening there, but also too so that we can understand maybe even what's happening closer to home in our own heart, but also too in the way that we think about America. I, I have personally been really um, bothered, if not concerned, by the some of the conversation that we're having about America right now. So. I just want to ask you really pointedly, and I don't know how you're going to answer this question, so I could be setting myself up for very conflicting uh, uh, responses here, by the way, I think, and the way you think, but I just want to be honest and real about this question, man. Um, Right now, there are Cubans who are carrying American flags through the street, and I think that's so powerful at a time where, in America, we're hearing... like mainstream news media sources tell us that if you have an American flag outside of your house, it's probably because you're signaling that you're a Trump supporter rather than that you just love the country. Um, So there's this tenuous relationship right now that we have with patriotism post-Trump and all of that stuff. Um, And so I just want to ask you directly, based upon what you've experienced moving from Cuba to the United States, and this is a loaded question because maybe it even deserves some definition, but I'll just go ahead and ask it. Do you believe that the American dream still exists?
1: To me, it does. Yeah. yeah because I'm, I'm living proof of it. I came to America, I had a backpack with a few clothes. And after I paid the taxi, I had like $70 left. And today I, I work really hard, but I'm able to go to bed in a comfortable place. I have a hot shower. I have access to the internet equipment, I can live. And I know that if I keep working and applying myself, I can keep moving up and not only the material things, but also being able to travel to different places and just pursue whatever it is that I want to pursue. If I want to make a ton of money, I can go after that. If I want to raise a lot of money to help other people, I can go after that. Just the freedom to do whatever it is that you want to pursue. As long as you follow the rules that we all have in society, so I, for me, the American dream is like, of course, of yeah. course it's out there. Uh, just like like you, I'm I'm always concerned when people who are Americans born here feel like America is not great or America is not good or America is so bad. And I think it's just a matter of perspective, right? Like I understand why they might feel like that, but sometimes it's like, you don't know what you have until you lose it. Yeah. And. For me, I mean, I have been so blessed and thank God I'm an American citizen now and I'm really proud and grateful to this country and to all the friends that I have made here who have made my time in America exceptional. And I I don't want to live anywhere else. So to me, it's it's great and it's, it's an amazing country. There are things that could be fixed, yes, but sure. I choose to focus on all the positive things. And it's really sad when I sit down to talk with American friends and they don't feel like America is a good country anymore. And I understand the reasons, but I just disagree. I think it's still an amazing country.
0: Yeah, this is. I'm convinced of this, man. I'm convinced of two things, that the people who critique America the most have probably the least experience in other countries. And, and the other thing I think is the reason for that is that I think a lot of people critique America based upon a hypothetical idea of what things should be rather than, the, than comparing to the way things are in other places. Like if I was to critique uh, Christianity, my own faith, based upon what I think it should be, um, I, I, we could critique it endlessly because I'm critiquing this idea and this thought rather than the reality of what, what's actually going on. But, but I think the best way to start, and that may be fine, but I think the best way to start is to say, well, let's compare it to, uh, to the way things are in other places. Let's compare Christianity to other religions of the world, comparative religions. Okay, so now let's extend that to what we're talking about now. Let's, ex- let's talk about America based upon what's going on in other places of the world. And let's be honest about those conversations. So yeah, I think your story is striking. And if I could encourage you as a friend, I would tell you whenever you have these conversations with people, especially out in Cali, um, is tell them your story, man, and be as totally honest as you can with them because the vast majority of Americans have gotten spoiled with really how great this country is, I think. And they wouldn't want to experience this country in the utopian way that they're trying to create it to be because so many people have tried that in the past and they've learned the lessons that Cuba has learned over and over and over again and are learning still to this day. And again, this isn't to say that America is the greatest thing on the planet, not that there aren't other countries that do things better than us. In fact, there may be ways in which Cuba, Cuba does things better than us in certain ways, but the reality is, is that um, none of those things matter without freedom and uh, none of those things matter without income uh, mobility. And the reality is, is and you can, attest, you can testify to this, I heard this the other day, there were young people walking through the street saying, these buildings may look beautiful, but my family is starving, and so is every single one of these people. There's no such thing really as income mobility in Cuba. You basically are born into, uh, in, in, into whatever social status you're, you're a part of, and you don't get outside of that. Am I, am I correct about that?
1: Yeah, the the ability to move up as your as income goes is very limited. Like you can only do so much. Like the moment you have a cap to private property and private businesses, and you have no competition and you have no ability to grow and expand, that's it. You're done. Like in Cuba, if you want to have a restaurant, you can only have one little place, and half the time you have to lie. And everything that you're buying, everything that you're buying is probably stolen from a hotel because that's the only places. Place that has the resources and here in america is everything is completely different so i think there's always things that could be better in our country here in the u.s i guess we just need to sit down and talk about specific issues so if you want to touch on racism or you want to talk on globalization or you want to talk on freedom of speech and censorship of the media like whatever it is that you want to touch on then go deep down on that issue and don't put it all as a whole saying, oh, this whole country is like completely unrecognizable and like this country is terrible because it's not. Just the the fact that you're able to say that your country is bad is actually so much ahead from where I come from where I'm not even allowed to speak up and say, hey, there's something wrong with this. We need to talk about it. That's
0: powerful, man. Yeah. I mean, just that, uh, even for me, is so, like, mind-blowing because we don't think about this, that the fact that we can critique our country is a sign of freedom. So I'm all for it, but I think we need to do it on on facts and not just on emotions and certainly not just on people's hypothetical view of reality because I could be like – Man, I just wish every single car that I ever wanted was free. It's like, okay, yeah, but now how does that gonna happen, right? So it's like, as long as we're not doing it pie in the sky and just pretending that we don't have to bring it back into reality, um, let's have those conversations. But let's. But I think we also need to have those conversations in light of what's going on in the rest of the world and and where things are. So I'm totally convinced, man, just from my own missionary journeys around the world, that I think one. Um, One trip to another country is all that the vast majority of people who critique this country need in order to have a vastly different perspective about what America is and what it stands for, especially in 2021, where we're told that we've reverted all the way back to like the Jim Crow era constantly and in multiple different ways. So so I'm really thankful for your story, man, and for the perspective that you have, because um, I think I heard somebody uh, say this one time who was from Cuba that all that they had learned, just like you just said to me, all that they had learned about America was what they had seen on TV. Um, and so they thought that America was the worst place on the planet until they actually experienced it for themselves. And then they realized what life was really supposed to be like having having come here to the United States. So I think your story is just absolutely important and needs to be shared as much as possible. And that's one of the main reasons that I wanted to, to have you on here today. Um, so... Let me just ask maybe a couple last questions. Um, so if there is somebody uh, like myself and we want to do what we can even in a limited way to kind of stay informed about what's happening, um, but then also maybe even help, uh, what's, what's just some suggestions that you would give us in terms of trying to encourage what's taking place in Cuba so that for once and for all, people can get the freedom that, that God has given them um, and that they deserve?
1: For sure. I think number one is seek out information from people who are actually Cubans or from Cuba. Seek out the information from them. And second of all, you need to find the, the senator or the person in your government that could actually have a voice to the U.S. government and just let them know, hey, Cuba needs help. If we do that, because America is such a powerful country and we're so close to Cuba just by acknowledging what's happening in Cuba, which it hasn't happened yet from from our government and and the president right now. If we can acknowledge that, that's the beginning to a conversation to then find out how could we create a plan to actually help these people. And I I watched a video this morning that was really interesting. It was the uh, mayor from Miami and he was talking about the impact of the Cuban government to American citizens because listen at the end of the day this matters to me because I'm from there my mom my dad my brothers are there so it matters deeply to me but for the next person like I don't expect them to care as much as I do it matters to you because you're my friend and you're someone who's educated and it's trying to find out what's happening but for the regular person it doesn't really matter but you have to think about this the Cuban government along with other governments in that region have forever been helping the drug lords move drugs through those countries and then bring them here to America. And when you understand what those countries are doing and that's why they're keeping their people the way they are so they can control everything, they're just racking millions of dollars off of the drug business that is coming to America that is then destroying America and our citizens and our young people. So what's happening there? will affect us here in America. And just the fact that people in the 21st century in a country that is 90 miles from America are not free to speak up and choose their own government, that should not be happening. Like if you are an American and you stand for what America stands for, which is freedom, you should not stand for a neighboring country, 90 miles south from your country where people are
0: not able to even speak up without being repressed. Yeah, I'm concerned that, I don't know what the White House is gonna do. I understand they gotta be political and all that stuff, but I've been a little bit bothered by the fact that they keep on trying to bring up COVID and vaccines as the reason for why these people are going to the streets when that's really not the reason, as you already already mentioned, uh, which we know, you don't have to know much about Cuba to know that when you strip people from their freedom for that long, there is going to be a backlash for it. But but my concern is this, is that as – and this is where politics, I think, does play a part. I think as the American uh, Democratic Party leans further and further left, they're adopting more and more kind of socialist slash communist principles. And I almost wonder if if that's really the kind of government that they want to institute in America, if that's really what they're after, if they don't have – now an incentive not to critique what's happening in Cuba because now they've been trying to go after the workers' paradise here in America that supposedly that places like Cuba were supposed to provide for the people but absolutely didn't. So I just wonder if the political climate in America right now is not going to afford somebody like Joe Biden... The, the freedom and the ability to really stand up against what's happening in Cuba and be really strong about this and, and celebrate the fact that this could be an opportunity that could change that nation for the better. I just wonder about that, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would be really silly of them not to realize that even that example of everything that happened in Cuba is a bad example. Like even if you wanted to implement the same strategy in your country, if someone did it wrong, you shouldn't like s- protect that because we don't want that here. Like, yeah. I-, I don't care that much about politics now that I live here in America, because to be honest, all I care about is making my movies, trying to make as much money as possible and inspire and entertain other people. And I'm able to do that no matter what precedent is here because we have the freedom to do so. So I-
0: yeah, as, long as, as long as it stays the way it is.
1: Yeah. As long as we have that freedom i'm i'm happy you know and i also spent so much time depending on politics when i lived in cuba that when i came here to america like it was it doesn't matter like what's going on politically you can still have your own life and and like do your own things so i i don't know what their strategy is i hope they're just gathering data and trying to find out more information and then make a statement and uh make some kind of decision that would make them look better. Even for the the own party in America that wants something like socialism, they need to look at this and analyze what went wrong in Cuba and like learn from that. And whatever they want to implement here, learn from that and make sure that we create something that is great. Like I'm not, I'm probably like in the middle. I'm not for one thing or the other thing. As long as we can have freedom, we can all pursue what we want. And we have a meritocracy where if you work hard, you get compensated well, and if you don't work hard, you don't com- don't get compensated as well. As long as we have that, I'm all for it.
0: Yeah. See, I, I, I maybe uh, there's too much of an, uh, uh, a red-blooded American in me, uh, and the history of our country, I think, does play a part in the way that we think about some of these things. Um, there's a part of me that absolutely loves what you're saying. And I love the fact that we can choose to be right smack dab in the center and not have to be too politically involved and bother ourselves too much about these things. But then there's another part of me that says... Yeah, but the, the history of this country tells me a, a little bit of a different story, that there are times where we have to fight and we have to stand up for what's right. Or we'll continue to descend and to slip into a form of government and a form of America that's not the America that you and I both know and love right now. And I don't know when that I don't know when that place is, Axel. I just know that I want to leave this place a better place for my kids. Uh, and you know this, too, with your with your your kids. Um, <clears throat> is that I have a responsibility now to make sure that this place is better off when I left it. And so I keep on wondering about what that looks like and what my role is in terms of perhaps politics, in terms of my faith, in terms of um, the what I do professionally and all that stuff. How can I make this world a better place and continue to uplift the things that have truly made this country great for, for so long? Um, so I, I'll let you say anything to that if you want to before I ask you one last thing.
1: Yeah, I think that's something very serious. And it's something that you really have to think about and and contemplate what it is that you want your mark to be. In my case, I choose to do that through stories, through making movies and inspiring people to deal with things personally and do that better for themselves. Because I think once you improve the self, then you can help those around you, then you can help your city, then you can help your country. So that's my focus. I just want to inspire one person to try harder and to try to love more and be better and if i'm able to do that and, and inspire people to follow their dreams to do whatever it is that they want to do in life i think by proxy i'm helping to make the world a better place but yeah. there are moments like this where something historical happens and it's so close to my heart that i have to talk about it even if it doesn't fit like what i should be talking about but it's, it's the best I can do for my family and for the people that I love.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for your courage, man. And I know there's a lot of courage uh, right now in Cuba with those people who are who are standing up for for themselves and standing up for their country and their fellow man. So I'm really excited. I'm gonna continue to pray. I'll encourage people who are listening to pray for the people of Cuba and pray uh, for this movement, that it will continue to be heard um, in the greatest halls of, of power there in Cuba and hopefully create some, some honest change. Um, okay, and then the last thing is, let us know how we can find you what's the best way to locate you on the internet or locate you on social media to stay up with some of the projects you're working on
1: yeah i'm on youtube i have my channel and i try to post there as much as possible and for all the behind the scenes and where i'm most active is always on instagram it's just my name across all the social media platforms axel arzola you can find me there and like i always love to talk to people and jump in the comments and help people any way i can
0: Okay. Awesome, man. So I'll put that down in the show notes so that people can uh, access any of that stuff. Well, brother, love you, man. And thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you being on.
1: Love you too, Reed. Always like so great to have you as a friend, man. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. God bless you, brother. See you soon. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. Indie Thinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to indiethinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself.